Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, April 23rd. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page two, three lines up from the bottom that starts with, We Gave Up Our Positions. Today's readers are Katie, Kim, Marsha, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, April 22nd, is 4338. That's 4338. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, it's Marietta Recovered. Um, The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admit we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you, Marietta, and I pass. Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, good morning. This is Anne, compulsive overeater, the 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Ann. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page two, we're three lines up from the bottom, and I will ask Katie to begin reading, please. Good morning, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tents, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculations that we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise in an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. Of course, this is in the 20s, so several thousand dollars you know, I don't even know what that would equate to now, but it's a lot of money, a lot of money. And, um, you know, he thought that if he just got everything else right in his life, that his little drinking problem would go away. And, you know, I can relate so much to this. Um, you know, I tried this in the rooms of OA, just getting my life in order. You know, if I get my life in order then I won't want to eat. 
I thought that it was something that I could control, that it was, you know, someone else's fault, that it was all the situations that I would, you know, if I um, would, you know, not be mad at my dad for leaving me when I was eight and never talking to me very often, you know, if I could um, live in a beautiful place, if I could have the perfect job, then I would not want to eat, you know, and... (laughs) This is what he thought. He's like thinking he can just build up this nest egg and he will, you know, his drinking problem will vanish. Um, you know, and we're going to read on to find out that that's, you know, that didn't work. Um, and it didn't work for me either. I moved to Hawaii, the most beautiful place anybody in the world, the world knows that Hawaii is a beautiful place. Um, and I spent, you know, a year before I moved there having, you know, um, able to focus enough on my life to get my finances in order, to, you know, sell things, to, you know, uh, tidy things up, to move to Hawaii. And, you know, there, I mean, even though people in the room said, you know, that sounds like a geographic cure. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, that's not what it is. And you know what? (laughs) I almost choked to death binging in Hawaii. So uh, this is the last house on the block, you know, and it took us several more years before I hit a bottom that would allow me to say, I will do whatever you tell me to do uh, because I can't stop this thing on my own. And I need my higher power to step in and I... Just stop the game playing, which is what I did. And, uh, you know, his story, um, we're not in the 20s, and I'm, I'm sure most of us are not stockbrokers, but I still can identify uh, with the crazy thinking that um, goes on as an addict, thinking they can just change their circumstances. And, you know, it just doesn't work. That will pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie, compulsive overeater. This is Robin. Melanie and then Robin. Go ahead, Melanie. Good morning, Christy. Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie, recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. And um, I read the first line We gave up our positions and off reward on a motorcycle. Then I I turned back to page one in the last paragraph, and it says, My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which would I manage with the utmost assurance. And I wondered if he didn't have that in mind for himself at this particular time. The thing that I love about knowing the story afterwards, where um, alcohol all but ripped him to shreds, is that I can take a look at this and see the kind of of thinking... um, and fantasy thinking, I guess, is what I want to talk about, that comes with with the uh, addict that I happen to be. I also put myself at those particular places and off I would go. The idea here that came right next was that he didn't heed any warnings when they talked to him about his history of an alcoholic and he didn't heed any warnings when his friends thought he was um, crazy, lunacy commissioned, right? The um, the wonderful thing about being 
um, an addict and, and recovered at this particular point, I know for sure that I need to be consulting other people when decisions, in my case, of any teeny tiny type at this point come to my mind so that I can have some sort of support in a direction that's going to be helpful and useful. I didn't do that well. The decisions I made were made in fantasy, were in large uh, scope as these are, that I would have pulled up stakes and gone, and I have many times, in a moment and in a heartbeat, to only to tell people later that they were shocked and stunned at my behavior. Me thinking that I was um, using the utmost judgment and, 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 uh, and my thought processes as a, as a stable, confident adult and turned out to be not so true. Anyway, I think there's wonderful bits of information and advice here that we're seeing that um, in between the lines we can read because we know the end of the story. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Robin, go ahead. This is Robin. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in um, sunny Minnesota this morning. Um, Bill's story, this is the this is the story that starts our tradition of um, telling our stories, that what we do when we tell our stories is we share our experience, strength, and hope. And um, what I love about Bill's story is that he's so open about everything that happened to him as he was walking the path before he found experience and, you know, strength and hope. Or before, yeah, before he he you know found recovery, he had this long history of um, screwing up. And what I see in this paragraph, though, is the potential. The fact that he has so much potential when he was young, before he really took a nosedive into um, alcohol. And um, yeah, there was a there was a geographic fix here, or a geographic cure. But the guy had such potential, you know, that he would be able at that age to hop on a motorcycle with his wife and go to Wall Street, procure, procure a position there, and get a large expense account. I mean, I don't know how, how old he was, 20s here? Um, and that he, he made a profit of several thousand dollars, which, as Katie, you know, mentioned, who knows how much that is in today's world. But, you know, it's all right there. I mean, this this guy, as many of us do, come into the world with, you know, intelligence, um, intuition, you know, the ability to put, you know, elbow grease, hard work into something. We can take, you know, we can take things and turn them into something beautiful. But the alcoholism, the food addiction gets us by the neck and we're unable to even take care of our own families, even take care of our own bodies, as we'll see as this story continues. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm so thankful that in his, you know, as he was stumbling along in the beginning, he knew that the right way to present this story to us is to, um, to share his experience, strength, and hope so that we can do that as we tell our stories. Thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Regina. Regina, go ahead. I was just, you know, what stood out to me is that, you know, uh, to me, Bill got his uh, value from money, things, whatever. And I know for myself, it's like, you know, if I had a nice car, 
if I had a, a, a position with a good title on it, you know, I felt good about myself. And I look at when I was reading this passage, and that's how I looked at looked at Bill. He um he got his value from his position. He got his value from things. He got his value from money instead of God. And that's where uh, we need to um that's where we need to get our value from is from God Himself. Uh, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Regina. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Uh, I heard a couple of folks. Leah, why don't you go ahead and then I'm sorry, who else was that? Sherry. Sharona from Israel. Sherry. Got it. Sherry and Sharona. So Leah, Sherry, Sharona. Leah, go ahead. Thank you very much. Chrissy, good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, we covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. Um, you know, as was previously stated, yes, Bill was a highly intelligent, uh, very driven, charismatic, persuasive, uh, you know, fellow, very, very Brilliant. In fact, he uh, became one of the first investment counselors, you know, like a securities analyst in the 1920s. So he did have a lot of talents, and he was very driven, um, obviously very driven. He covered the whole United States in a year. He was doing that because he was interested in analyzing the real value behind various securities and various companies. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, you know, Lois, his dear loving wife, um, was interested in controlling his drinking. You know, that's what's going on behind the scenes. You know, uh, yes, his intelligence, his drive for success, his yearning uh, to put, you know, some folding money in his pockets um, was certainly there. But uh, Lois wanted to get away, too, but for different reasons. Lois's reasons were because, you know, she was so concerned about his drinking that she wanted to get him away from the New York bars. You know, she, she thought that this time away would straighten him out. So, you know, yes, you know, we come in with so many strengths and talents and unique abilities um, because, you know, each of us is, uh, is an individual and each of us has, uh, has so many things to offer and, and to contribute to our families and our communities and to society at large. But when we're in the grips of a disease, like Bill was in the grips of alcoholism, um, you know, even though you possess special abilities, even though he possessed uh, skills and aptitudes, and that's obvious to every one of us who reads about Bill Wilson, and he has this promising career ahead of him, he's going to use these gifts gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family, and then he pulls the structure down, we'll see, because of the progression of the disease. Because it's true for Bill, and it's true for me, it's true for Katie, it's true for whoever's a real compulsive overeater, that you can run, but you cannot hide. And this disease will get you. I mean, it is progressive, it will corner you, and wherever you go, there you are. 
And even though he has his trust reliance dependency right now in money, that's where that's what he's standing on. He's standing on the fact that if he can become successful and if he can have that nice, beautiful tan and hang out with the guys on the golf course and have a lot of folding money in those deep pockets of his, that he will stabilize enough to not need a drink. And we're going to find out that that's not where that trust, reliance, and dependency has to be on. That trust, reliance, dependency has to be on the true master, a higher power of our understanding. But he ain't there yet. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Sherry, go ahead. Um, am I second or third? Uh, I have, yeah, no, Sherry, go ahead. Okay, thank you. This is Sherry. A compulsive overeater, and very grateful for this a vision for you. Um, I looked outside myself, as uh, Bill did, to cure me. And I didn't know that it was on the inside. Well, you know, I really didn't know it was on the inside that I was. There was something wrong with me. Um, and so I looked outside myself to, to, you know, if if I signed up for PTA and learned to play tennis and um, uh, took on these projects and did massive uh, house cleaning. Oh my God, I could rub the paint off of a stove around the knobs. That's just how compulsive I was with that. Um, and and I was miserable the whole time. Just, and I couldn't put a name on it. And I couldn't, I, I would wonder why I was here on earth. What, what was I here for? I had no idea. Um, anyway, I, I just wanted to share that. And um, I think that's all I have, okay? Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. Sharona, go ahead. Hi. Hi, this is Sharona, Compulsive Overeater. I, um, I just want to say that when I hear the story of Bill and I, I hear the start and I can relate, I can find myself just doing it. And I think when he consulted, for one, on the one hand, he wanted to hear from his colleagues that he's doing the right thing. And when he didn't hear it, he just went on because as a the character of an addict, that he knows it all and he's the only one who knows. So if he doesn't get the reassurance from the outside and his very well-experienced colleagues, he just went on and did it. And uh, on the second hat, he just <clears throat> um, I just forgot what I wanted to say and. And just just doing it, I I find, and he had a glimpse of a thought, just not doing it. And God, and I think this is a a, a message or a, just a kind of a message that God sends us through our own thoughts. And because we're so, gosh, we can't listen to this kind of this kind of tiny, I don't know, like ray of light that God sends into your mind. And I ignored it many times, and I think that Bill, because he did, he had, he was very intelligent, and he had a great intuition, 
and at the beginning at the cathedral he he felt kind some some kind of feeling of God, so he did know he he knew God, but the disease comes and shut shut shuts it down, and you can't listen and you and you won't listen and with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharona. We're going to move on to the next paragraph. Kim, would you please read that for us? Thanks, Christy. For the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I had a host of fair-weather friends. Uh, good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. One of my favorite lines, I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. I had arrived. So we've been talking today. What is what is Bill's currency? His currency is actually money. It's success. It's business. So what is our currency? What is it that makes us think we had arrived? I mean, for a lot of us, it's a certain size genes. You know, if I get a, if I become a size six, then I am sure that Brad Pitt's going to knock on my door and ask me to marry him. If I get a size six to a size six, I'm sure my boss is going to promote me to the to the chief financial officer of his company. If I get to a size six, I am sure that my kids will suddenly listen to me. I had arrived. Or the opposite, I would work for those outside issues. You know, if I got the cute boyfriend, then of course my eating was going to get under control. If I got the promotion, of course my eating was going to get under control. If I got my, my kids to do what I wanted to, my eating would get under control. I had arrived. That's all outside circumstances. That's all by control the outside environment and that internal environment, that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment will go away. And I chased that for decades and it never went away. And I chased that meaning I had arrived. I would get the cute boyfriend. I would get the promotion. I would get to that size six. And why wasn't my life circumstances changing? And I love this, my judgment and ideas followed by many to the two of paper millions. And this has been my experience in a way, and I've observed this all the time, is we come in, we admit we're powerless, we get the diet, we lose the weight, and we immediately go to step 12. And I'm going to tell everybody about how what I think OA is. I'm not going to work with step because, I, you know, food and weight is my problem. So if I get my food and weight under control, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell you about my diet because my diet is the diet that's going to get you thin and get you happy. My ideas, my judgment, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell the world what they need to do because now I know, I know everything. Even though inside, internally, I'm dying. I'm dying. And we used to call that in my area the two-step. So from step one to step 12. And then we, I would complain. Why does nobody want to talk to me about the steps? Why does nobody want to talk to everyone on my diet? Because the fact was that was the only thing I had to offer. It was the only thing I had to offer. I had arrived at a certain gene size, and I thought that I knew the world. And we're going to see 
what does this do for Bill when he has the outside circumstances? Is that going to control his, his drinking? And I'm going to guess that his experience is going to line up with mine because it never did for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Sure. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Ovita. Thank you, Christy, for your service today. This line, I'm going to kind of scoot right to the middle of it. I guess this is where it is, isn't it, in the middle? This is where we see Bill and drink now changing. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. Notice he used the word taking, and that's what it was doing. It was taking a bigger and bigger part in his life. But see, he saw that. Now, he used the word important. Important? Not wife. He said, oh, my wife was so important. Oh, my job. Oh, my friends. Oh, my family. No. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in him in my life. You see, he thought it was giving him something. But truly, what he said was clear. It was taking. And I'm going to just scoot right on down to the bottom here. Scoffers would scoff and be damned. I made that line a host of fair-weather friends. Birds of a feather stick together. He was a fair-weather friend. Hey, things are going good. Hey, let's ride on high. Fair-weather friends. Oh, I'm there with you in the sunny days. But oof. Not when the snow comes, hon. Not when the rains come and the storms. No, no. Won't be there then. Not with they. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? You need to press star one to unmute your phone. Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Um, Well, both Kim and uh, Paula really, really have um, brought out for me... um, how I really identify with this um with this paragraph um, that drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. The compulsive overeating throughout all the years i mean having just completed my steps um I'm up at uh, step nine here, but the um the chunks of truth that i um was shown about myself as a result of compulsive overeating um and its course throughout my life um is it's it's just exactly like this i mean that not only was it taking an important part of my life it really was my whole life but it um an exhilarating part of it i mean it's what gave my whole life substance and was built on sand and um the thing that kim was talking about really really hit me because um Back in 2011, prior to my um, starting a recovery, um, I had reached a certain size and I had reached a certain weight. And um, uh, with having no idea 
that I had an allergy in my body that when I put certain substances in, um, I was off and running. Rose, are you still there? I don't know what happened. Um, oh, yeah, that's okay. Go ahead, go yeah, ahead, Rose. It it uh, it muted itself. Forgive me. Um, so what I was saying is that <clears throat> when I had arrived at a certain weight, and I really thought life was going to begin for me, and I really felt that I had arrived. You know, I was wearing the size jeans that you know. My daughter said I look cute in and uh, all this type of thing. <clears throat> and without the knowledge that, um, and I decided to put a substance in that I I thought I could handle. And I was gone in 2011 again to only regain the weight. But that was the smallest part of the picture. I was insane after, uh, this is like hundreds of times, again, of finding myself drunk again, drunk again, and without the knowledge that it was the substances I put in me that then created this craving that I couldn't stop and a mental obsession that I had no control over. And then, thanks to God, 2012, I'm brought to the steps and the admission of my own personal powerlessness after all these years to say, I am powerless. I have no control. I am insane. And it had nothing to do with my size and all of my life circumstances, friends, jobs that I lost myself were all as a result of my uh, drunkenness as a compulsive overeater. So the power really in this paragraph for me, uh, I, I can't say enough as to what it's doing in my life, like giving me my life back. Thank you, Christy. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Well, this is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll jump in here because I, too, you know, that, that, that sentence there in the middle of the paragraph um, jumps out at me. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. You know, important and exhilarating. Exhilarating is such a it's such an exhilarating word. You know, I love that word. It's exciting. You know, what an exciting thing. And that's what, you know, that's what food was for me. I took, um, you know, what I called my passion, my passion for food. You know, I was a foodie. I was a foodie at a very early age. Um, I remember in high school, uh, you know, I wanted to try out new recipes, you know, some fancy food. You know, I grew up in a really small town in the West, and, you know, I didn't, it's not like there was the Internet and I could search recipes or do anything like that, but I would pour over cookbooks and, you know, read all I could about, you know, watch, you know, Julia Childs on TV and read about food and, you know, I learned how to decorate cakes and I, um, you know, I remember, you know, trying to perfect the art of making a rose out of the most horrible, you know, icing possible because it's, you know, it needs to set to, you know, a hardness so it will sit on the cake and, you know, look beautiful. And, of course, you know, every rose that I made that wasn't perfect, I ate. <laughs> you know, why waste some of that frosting? You know, I would eat that. And I learned how to, you know, make baked Alaska and bananas foster and all those really fancy desserts. I took that passion. 
I had that exhilarating part of my life, um, you know, the, the passion I had for food. And, you know, unfortunately, um, the, you know, the food that I was so passionate about and was reading about, um, you know, eventually it turned on me, um, just like we will read about what happened with Bill. I mean, that doesn't happen for everyone. You know, they may have a, you know, read the joy of cooking and, and not read about the despair of food addiction, um, you know, within the lines of a book like that. But that's what happened to me. You know, that's what happened to me. And for those of you who've never read Bill's story, you know, I'm not going to, you know, give you the spoiler alert here, but there's a reason that we're reading about this story in, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, and I will just say it gets worse before it gets better. And that was my experience. That was my experience as well. So, you know, just reminded me of where my, you know, where my addiction started. I didn't start out with despair and loneliness when I first picked up the food. I started out with exhilaration and passion and excitement. And um, that's what I'm hearing or reading in this particular paragraph. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph? Lindsay? Lindsay, go ahead. Hi, this is um, Lindsay from New Hampshire on the road to recovery. Um, this this paragraph for, for many years reading the book books didn't, well, this whole story I, I had a hard job relating to, but the more I read Bill's story, the more I just relate so totally. And it's such a relief to be able to relate so totally because I feel like, um, you know, I'm ready to really look at the truth. For the next few years, fortune threw money and it falls my way. And for me, um, you know, that whole, uh, you know, getting to be the size six, uh, and for me it was the approval, believing that if everybody around me adored me, I had it made. And I had an opportunity um, in my early 20s to, to live in, a, in the Middle East and uh, one of few single women. And so here I was surrounded by, you know, all these these these, these guys, you know, that, that – and there was a series of um, new restaurants opening. Um, this was an up-and-coming place, and I just, you know, constantly had these adoring males wanting to take me to these new restaurants and, and, and talk about having, you know, feeling like I had arrived. And um, and also, you know, I traveled a lot for the first time, went to these amazing, you know, places, um, you know, here we go. Everyone spent thousands and chatted in millions. So people around me were making these huge tax-free salaries. I was making this tax-free salary and traveling on, you know, private airplanes across the country to beautiful exotic places. Talk about making a host of fair-weather friends and, and feeling like um, I had arrived. I mean, this this was it for me. This, this There was nothing else. And also the impeccable tan I had, and what I had to do to acquire that tan, you know, sitting in out in, you know, 105 degree weather, you know, in and out of the the pool just so I could have this tan, and the bracelets and the jewelry that was given to me. I mean, I was becoming more and more this uh, shallow person. But for me, that was what it was about. That was was it. And uh, like Bill, further on, as um, you know, with those host of fair weather friends, um, I had a pretty long way to uh, to fall. And uh, of course, you know, like Bill, I, I I did. I had to really go low. And with that, I passed. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? 
It's Leia. Leia, go ahead. Thank you so much. Just focusing on this, I had arrived, and, you know, it's just um, reinforcing the point here that that Bill, you know, was his God, his own God. You know, he ruled his own destiny. He made his own decisions. You know, he determined uh, his future. And, uh, of course, you know, we're going to see how, how well that works for Bill. I mean, his, his best thinking is going to get him in some hot water or, as you and I know, some quicksand. Um, it says, for the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. And, you know, it's that pride before the fall. Um, he's thinking that everything is going well because of his own um, capabilities and his own decisions and his own um, insights and what he should do. You know, he doesn't need anybody. He is totally self-sufficient, self-reliant right now. He is self-seeking. And, of course, he has this dependency, this false dependency on money and and a Laws and and fame and recognition and status and you know it was true for Bill Wilson it's true for all of us that that false dependency whenever we are looking outside of ourselves for scraps of of fulfillment and scraps of validation and and some a little bit of security and a little bit of feeling love and approval. Um, you know that is vapid it 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 it's not enough for someone like us because you know as bill's later going to realize he has a treasure chest an inner resource within him that's going to include all those things but is infinitely greater than all those things um and that's going to be a relationship with a higher power um but right now he's his higher power right now he's all he needs but, you know, it's a falsehood because that external world of his, money, applause, recognition, fame, fortune, a tan, a golf course, um, you know, all the runnings around at, at the bars, you know, that external world is never a remedy for an internal condition. And his condition, internal condition, is called alcoholism. And it's a delusional thought to think that all these outside uh, arenas are going to be enough to fill the hole in his soul. And that's true for a compulsive overeater, too. You know, thinking that the external world, you know, if only my husband behaved right, if only my kids did, you know, straightened up, if only I had this job, this much money, that kind of car, lived in this kind of city, uh, you know, had a certain position or stature, that that is going to be sufficient enough to take care of what's going on between my ears, which is the greater aspect of the disease, the obsession of the mind. And none of those things is enough. None of those things is enough. But, you know, each of us has to get beaten to a pulp, just like Bill did, to get that point across. You know, that, that no amount of money, no amount of recognition, no amount of status, no amount of love, no amount of education, no matter any of those things is not going to be enough to conquer the obsession of the mind. There's only one thing that can heal a sick mind, and that's he who created that mind. And Bill ain't there yet. <laughs> Bill has to suffer some more. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Leah. I'm going to ask Marsha to read the next paragraph, please. Marsha, will you go ahead? Hi, good morning. This is Marsha. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. Wow, this is a very powerful paragraph for me because I can relate to just about every single word in that sentence, in that paragraph. Um, my eating had assumed very serious proportions when I was a teenager, it, and, uh, and it did continue all day and almost every night. I, I know that my family was always on me about my weight and my eating. I, uh, I had uh, friends who were mostly kind, but on, on occasion they were some, there were times when they would, uh, when my eating would come up and I would feel hurt and betrayed and I withdrew uh, and I was already an isolator. Um, I fought with my family. I fought with my siblings about my weight. Um, many unhappy scenes in my childhood home. Um, just uh, insults hurled by you know my siblings or my parents. Essentially, you know, I, I would come home and and cry because I'd been bullied at school, and and uh, my parents were not really. Um, they didn't console me so much. But what did console me was that that what was ever in the jar, cookie jar or in the refrigerator or in the pantry, some cellophane bag somewhere, consoled me, made me not hurt anymore. Um, but I do have to say that uh, my isolation kept me out of uh, potential bad, worse situations than that. And this was my life as a teen, which kind of set the stage for me to grow even further into my disease as, a, as an adult. I mean, this was where the unmanageability of my life began to manifest itself. I mean, I grew more and more desperate to to get that e sense of ease and comfort and trying more diets, more pills, going going to exercise clubs, trying for um, some new magic bullet that was going to help me to eat whatever I wanted but then be a size 6. Um, that wasn't out there. Uh, I was growing out of clothes. There were no cute clothes for fat girls. I mean, I, I, I mean, I loathe myself. I loathe my life, and that's what how it was. That's where the disease just this my my like I said, my unmanageability manifested itself. But it taught me a lot in retrospect. I mean, a lot of that time I contemplated suicide because that was the only thing. But the only thing that kept me uh, from eating was my depend or doing that was my dependency on food. And uh, as Leah said, I was looking for a love outside of myself, uh, and I couldn't find it there. So I, I turned to the food, and I didn't know about it OA then. I didn't know about the disease and that this solution wasn't just a successful diet and being thin. I did understand that my life was unmanageable, but I just didn't grasp what was going on until finally, um, finally the dawn hit. And, and I have to say, it was when my mother died, and... And I'd gone into a deep depression, and food was the the thing that had was providing me solace. But it, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable, and again contemplating suicide. And that's when that's when a friend said I needed to get help, and I came to the doors of OA finally. And uh, I finally, after many years of being in OA, I got I got it. 
I got it. Thanks to the help of a recovered sponsor, I got it. I have a disease. I am the problem, and the solution is not me. And from then on, it just things started to fall into place, and my life has become so much different then. I don't live in this chaos anymore. I am far more serene. doesn't mean that life doesn't stop happening. It does. It's just that now there's a solution I can turn to that is not food. And my higher power carries me through on a daily basis, and I'm grateful as of Friday to have celebrated four years of abstinence. And I'm very, very grateful to my higher power for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share in this paragraph? Monica. Yes, this is Deborah. May I speak? Uh, Monica first and then Deborah. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And what struck me here is like in the uh, paragraph we read prior, you know, he, he, we're, he's talking about exhilarating and, and fun and important and a host of fair weather friends. And here we are in the next paragraph. And serious proportions becomes a lone wolf. He loses his friends. There's unhappiness with his wife. And, you know, how quickly it went from a host of fair feather friends to being a lone wolf. So the book here is really showing us progression, fast progression into isolation with his disease here. You know, the deterioration of his friendships. His marriage is, is, is also having issues. Um, and it's just that, that just came out to me that, you know, from one paragraph to the next, how things have gone so downhill. And, so, and that's our disease, you know. Um, at one point, it was fun. It was exhilarating. You know, it was a thing to do. I had eating friends, and we went out and did all these things, and eating was, you know, lots of fun. And then it turns, it turns, and it wasn't fun anymore. And, you know, and you, you isolate, and I'm not, you don't want to do anything. Well, I don't want to go anywhere because I'm fat and nothing looks good. And, and um, well, when I get thin, maybe I'll do it. It just goes on and on. Anyway, I pass with that. Thank you, Monica. Deborah, go ahead. Yes, this is Deborah, and I also can identify with the um, lone wolf. I definitely, I think most of the time, I felt more introvert than extrovert, and would sit quietly in the background and suffer in self-loathing and feeling all alone and at the same time work for the, you know, the paragraph above about I had arrived. I, you know, put myself back through school when I was in, as a single parent in my 30s and um, worked a job and, you know, I went through all that just eating um, any fear, any anxiety, anything to do with testing. It was um, forever food was my friend, my, you know, it gave me, as he mentioned, drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. Uh, the paragraph above, you know, that was it. I was achieving. I was heavy in the books and would study more than anybody else because I had to get those A's. 
um, a drivenness. I think it was, you know, for me, or at least for me, I don't know about you, but when I felt so inept, I had to keep driving to prove myself. I was never okay. I was never had a sense of a higher power, and I'm okay just because he decided he'd like me on earth to interact with all these other good fellows. And um, many unhappy scenes. I just, you know, uh, went through divorce and um, just lots of pain and wondering and uh, it was, um, but food was the comfort and and in those prior to program, it was all about me, what I could get done, how I could shine so people would take notes and as before I passed, I actually, um, we were talking previously how Bill had saved $1,000 and in 1933, $1,000 is worth today's dollars of $17,540. And on page three, when he mentions left a profit of several, and I looked up several, and it means more than two and less than many. So I just did three times that 17. Back in 1933, Bill had the equivalent of $52,620 when he um, returned from the trip. So um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, it's Sheila. May I share? Sheila, go ahead. Hi, thank you. I just wanted to um, share about this because I've seen myself in this so many identification. I um, am one of those people that will push, 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 thinking if I just get A, B, C, or D that I would feel better or be part of or whatever, like it's accolades. But one thing I started noticing, not so much during school, but more as an adult in the working field, when I got those accolades, they were so short-lived. Like I would work so hard in a certain position or certain I'm in sales, so I want to be top ten in the nation. I want to be top whatever in the nation. And every time I got it, it would only feel good for a little while. And then the obsession would start taking over again, and I would start feeling whatever again, and I would start self-seeking. The self-seeking never slipped away. You know, I really wanted this one thing. I've been pushing for it for a long time. And I'm going to say maybe about four or five years, and it hasn't happened. I've had very close to it last year, and it didn't happen. I was so angry, so angry. I was like, come. But then my spirituality, thank God, God came in, and I realized it must not be meant for me because I'm not supposed to get my accolades from things outside of him. Our God is a very jealous God. He wants us only to praise and love him. Um, today it can still come up, but I know that when I'm doing that, that my disease and my rapid thinking is taking over. Priority saving must Sorry be given to people with disabilities. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Paula, will you please read a vision for you? Happy to. This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We, real, we realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.